I want to thank you for joining into our Bible study this evening, and I want to encourage you to have your Bibles and join me again in Ephesians chapter 2. As we're studying out what it is to be saved, laying a theological foundation and gaining a biblical understanding. All through this chapter, there are exceptionally classic verses about salvation. Beautiful verses. You can sense, as the Apostle Paul is writing these under inspiration, that he's joyous. You can hear the passion. It swells as he uses specific words to communicate what God has done for us. Now remember last week as we began our study, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Walking corpses. The fact is, we were bound by this world system, which is empowered by the prince of the power of the air, the devil himself. And that means we were subordinate to him. We were given to our fleshly appetites, dominated by our lusts, all meaning that we were by nature children under the wrath of God. The wrath of God, which was existing in the moment and also conveyed in the future sense. Wrath now under sin, waiting for that wrath in the judgment of God on all sin. What a terrible state. But remember, the Apostle Paul is writing to those who are saved. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were subordinate to this world system, which is empowered by the devil, dominated by your flesh, by nature under wrath. And then those two words arrived in the beginning of verse 4, where I direct your attention now, where he says, But God, who is rich in mercy, For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace ye are saved. Even when we were in that state described to us in the first three verses, God intervened, but God. I saw one commentator who said, but God, those two words in and of themselves, in a sense, contain the whole of the gospel message. But God. These verses that we read just now, though they are short, tell us what God has done. Tell us why and how God has intervened into what was otherwise a hopeless situation. As I've already established, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, yet he has stepped in and quickened us. Those two words are beautiful words, and swelling with joy, the Apostle Paul is communicating happy thoughts about our saved state. But God... Who is this God that the Apostle Paul is talking about? 
If you and I were to poll the world around us, I'm sure that there are many definitions or conceptions about God or a God. But the God that the Apostle Paul is talking about here is clearly the God of the Bible. Jesus, God in the flesh. It is the God of the Scriptures. And he's already told us in these verses with some foundational truths that God is sovereign. That he created all the world and he rules over all the world. One said this, nothing occurs without his permission and nothing ever rises to surprise him. What God has ordained from the beginning inevitably comes to pass. The future is certain because an all-powerful God determines it. God is sovereign. He's also already conveyed to us that God is holy. He is not indifferent to sin. We are by nature children of wrath. Sin will be punished because God is holy. The God of the Bible is sovereign. The God of the Bible is holy. And the God of the Bible is storing up wrath, has abiding wrath against sin. It flows from his holiness. Sin is a frightening thing because of God's impending judgment against it. The God of the Bible, who is sovereign and holy and wrathful against sin, is the God that intervenes. That in and of itself is a stunning reality. It's an amazing truth. And then he expands on it. The God of the Bible. God who became flesh, Jesus. God of the Old Testament. God of the New Testament. God now in control. The God of the Bible. He's the one that intervened. What did he do? Well, the Bible tells us here that he quickened us together with Christ. That in and of itself is an amazing phrase. Who? God. The God of the Bible. What did he do? He quickened us with Christ. We grasp the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a miraculous event. And the same power that quickened Christ quickens us. We are raised with Christ. God quickened us. You are either quickened or you are dead. That's what one wrote. Humanity is divided into two groups, those who are resurrected and those who are dead. Quickened simply means he made us alive. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he, by his power, quickened us. He made us alive with Christ. It's a spiritual resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit, using the Word of God. Now pause for a second and lean on what we already know we've seen within Scripture. In the Gospel accounts, it's recorded that Jesus raised three people from the dead. In Luke chapter 7, he raises the widow's son. 
In Luke chapter 8, he raises the daughter of Jairus. In John chapter 11, he raises Lazarus. In each case, he speaks, and the word that he speaks gives life. Now, we also know from Hebrews chapter 4 that the word of God is quick. It is living. It is a quickening agent and powerful. The word of God is quick and powerful. It is living. It is enlivening. And the fact is, we see those three physical resurrections and they convey, they tell a story, they give us a depiction of the spiritual resurrection that we have when we hear the quick word, the powerful word, and we believe it, placing our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The God of the Bible intervened when we were helpless and hopeless. And he quickened us. He made us alive with Christ. That's why people must hear the word of God. Because it is quick and powerful. Because God uses his word to reveal the truth about himself. The gospel of Jesus Christ. How can they hear, it's asked, without a preacher? The fact is we must be in saturated by, and communicating the Word of God. God of the Bible quickened us. Now, it is intriguing to continue this study. Why would the God of the Bible, who is sovereign and who is holy and who is wrathful against sin, quicken us who were dead in sin, bound by this world system, dominated by Satan, controlled by our flesh, and under wrath. Here's where you can sense the Apostle Paul swelling with joy, using vivid words intentionally. Why would God do it? He said in verse 4, But God, who is by his nature rich in mercy, as opposed to the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world, God is rich in mercy. He's wealthy in mercy. He's abounding in mercy. He's full of mercy, which is, when you study it, compassion, it's pity, it's affection, it's kindness. He's going to add some of these nuances as we work through here. The reality is two things are essential if you're going to have mercy. You have to have the capacity to see a need, and you have to have the capacity to meet that need. God sees the need. That's conveyed in verses 1, 2, and 3. And so by verse 4, because he's the only one able to meet the need, he steps in and has mercy on us. How can I see the mercy of God at work? Well, first and foremost, he withholds his judgment. The reality is, if he was not merciful, not one of us would be here to either speak this lesson or listen to this lesson. He withholds his judgment. He provides a way for us to be saved. God is rich in mercy. When you just simply compare 
and contrast these two wildly different ends of the spectrum. We're dead, dominated, and subordinate. And he is rich, abounding in mercy. He goes on and he says this, he's great in love. He is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Now the Bible tells us that God is love. And here that his love is great. He's full of love. It's that agape love that you cannot get away from understanding within Scripture. It is that selfless and sacrificial love. It is the love of the mind, decisive love. It is the love of reason. It's the love of the will. And it is the love of the heart. It is the love of affection. It is love that goes so far that when you again look back in the first three verses, loves a person who doesn't even deserve to be loved. Loves a person who is utterly unworthy of being loved and cannot in that state give love back. Compelled is this agape love to sacrifice even for its enemies. Again, we're walking through these verses, intentionally unpacking them. We grasp that God is rich in mercy and great in love because we were in the condition of verses 1, 2, and 3. I wish that I was better with words. As I studied this out, I came across something that F.B. Meyer wrote. He said this, God's love was not daunted by our sin. He then painted this picture. He said, In the day that we were born, we were cast out in the open field, dead in trespasses and sins, and to the abhorring of our person. But he loved us even then. His great love was not diverted by the spectacle of our loathsomeness. He knew what we were and what we should be, and how much pain and sorrow we should cost him, but he loved us still. He foresaw our failures and backslidings and lapses into the darkness of shadow, but none of these things availed to quench his love. So rich was he in mercy that he could afford to be prodigal of his wealth. He said, it is a great comfort to know that God loved us when there was nothing to attract his love, because he will not be surprised by anything he discovers in us, and he will not turn from us those manifestations of evil when they show up, which sometimes make us lose heart. He knew the worst from the first. He did not love us because we were fair, but he loved us to make us so. We can't understand it, but since he began, he will not fail nor be discouraged until he has finished his work. He is great in love. Stop for a second and let that truth about God invade your heart and mind. He is rich in mercy. His love is great. Great love wherewith he loved us. 
Now stop for a second and remind yourself. If he loved you with great love, great enough love to send his only begotten son Jesus, great enough love to lay down his life for you, who were dead and dominated and subordinate and under wrath, why do we lose sight of that practical truth about God in our day-to-day lives? We get so beat down with guilt. We sometimes feel like we're too far down the road of wrong to ever get back to right. But the Bible tells us, pleads with us, if we confess... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He loves us. He has not ceased to be rich in mercy and great in love. If he loved you when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, don't you think he loves you still when you stumble and fall? Do you think when he sent his only begotten son to pay for your sins and he quickened you with the spirit when you placed your faith in Christ that he didn't know You had some faults and flaws in you. He is still rich in mercy. He is still great in love. It is still new every morning. It is there for you to access. Don't let the devil bind you in guilt and make you feel useless. You can always get right. Not only is he rich in mercy and great in his love, he's amazing in his grace. That little parenthetical phrase there in verse 5, by grace ye are saved. That's how it works. There's nothing in you or I that merits this from him. He simply is gracious to us. The fact that it is even in parenthesis one wrote indicates this is a burst of Paul's feeling. It is by grace that we are saved. Again, let the gospel resonate, not as a one-time experience where you came to salvation, but as an everyday way of living. He is gracious, and we are saved because of that. Even the word saved there in the Greek indicates this is a settled state. You're not in the process of being saved. You are in the state of salvation. You now are safe. There is no condemnation to you in Christ Jesus. You have passed from death unto life. You are not waiting to inherit the gift of eternal life. You have it Now, you are in a saved state by grace. There was nothing in you that merited salvation. You did not deserve it. You offered nothing of worth or value. And let that gospel truth resonate with you even now. Can you sense this swelling in the Apostle Paul when he stumbles and falls? When, as he tells us, that he was fighting against the lusts in his own flesh. Oh, wretched man that I am. Isn't it good to know that God is rich in mercy and great in love and amazing in grace? These truths are not merely for the transaction at salvation. This is an everyday reality about God. He is rich in mercy. He is great in love. He is amazing in grace. And I'll jump ahead just a little bit. He is exceeding in his kindness. That's down in verse 7. The exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness. It's visible. 
This rich in mercy and this exceeding grace and this great love is all visible because of his kindness. His desire to help us, to supply what is needed. This is a state. Kindness from God. Kindness from God. That's what's offered to us in salvation. Kindness. We, we, we are reminded when it, within Scripture, in this letter, the Apostle Paul tells us, be kind, be tender-hearted one toward another. Why? Because we already have the example that he is kind toward us, exceedingly kind, exceedingly kind and helpful and beneficial to us. That's his spirit towards us, kindness. I don't know what your view of God is. I hope this is either sharpening what you already know to be true or reminding you what you have forgotten, that this reality of God is here and now. Not just for the lost person who comes out of the dark and into the light, from death unto life, but for the Christian who's getting ready to start a brand new week and is struggling. For the Christian who's getting ready to start a brand new week and has some things that they need to confess, that needs to be reminded of what they have been given in Jesus Christ. In short, Jesus in effect says, I know what you are and I know what you've done. But because of my great love and because of my richness in mercy... And because of my amazing grace and because of my exceeding kindness, your penalty has been paid. The wrath which was stored up against you has been poured out on Jesus Christ and been satisfied. And there is no more condemnation for you. You're not in the process. You are currently at this moment safe. I have offered you forgiveness. All you need to do to reconcile with God is to come to his son, Jesus. It is this compassionate love for people like you and me who do not deserve it that makes salvation possible. Just stop once again and just think. We were dead in trespasses and sins. He is rich in mercy. We were under this world system, and he is great in his love. We were subordinate to the devil, and he, God, is amazing in his grace. We were children of wrath by our nature, and he's exceeding in kindness. That's what the Apostle Paul is telling us. He's bursting at this moment, telling us about our salvation. Stop for a second and recognize the gift that you have been given. It's extended to us. And it's a beautiful thing the more that we understand, laying this theological foundation to change our practical outlook. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, the time that we can spend now in it. We thank you for the inspiration of scripture and how greatly this helps us. I pray that you'd strengthen us for the week that we have ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. 
We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.